0: doing the work it's amazing to to be a part of it and you guys get to be a part of it as well bible study philippians chapter 2 this morning if you'll turn there good time to remember to turn our phones to silent so we don't hear rings and dings and pings and and all of that and i know i remind you but we have so much information and things that come into our minds all week long. So we get, you know, a short time in God's word this morning, and we want to be attentive. Uh, we want to hear that, and we want to be focused on um, the God's word going forth. And what we're going to talk about today is really, really important. Every Bible study is important, but just talking about sacrifice and service uh, for the Lord this morning. Father, we do come as we open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and that as we read the written word of God, as 2,000 years ago Paul grabbed parchment and put pen to it, that we know that this is God-breathed put to the page and is for us today. And I pray that we would, Lord, be attentive and teachable and your word being like a a seed planted in our hearts that may bear fruit in our lives. So we commit this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you've been with us on Sunday mornings uh, thus far, you, you have heard as we've discussed and we have read that Paul has had a very special relationship with this church of Philippi, a church that he established on his second missionary journey. And he had a special place, the Christians did, on his heart. He expresses that. And as we finish the chapter, Paul's going to mention Epaphroditus, who came from Philippi to Rome as Paul is chained to a Roman guard to visit Paul and told Paul of the affairs of the church. When we get to chapter four, we're going to see that Paul's going to name two individuals that are a source of conflict, a division that has come into the church. He has already been addressing it since chapter one, in verse 27. He would say, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. And as we have seen over the last couple weeks, Paul instructs the Christians there at Philippi, and it's for us today at Calvary Chapel, how our conduct is to be worthy of the gospel. Now keep in mind, always keep this in mind, that the gospel is not just something that we believe in. Of course we do. It's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. But it is a life that we live as believers. We're new creations in Christ as we come in faith to him, born again by the Spirit of God. And we don't live after the world. We don't live after the philosophy of the world, which says that that you are to be number one. You look out for yourself. You live for yourself. You assert yourself. Everything centers around you. Paul tells us to stand fast in one spirit to be of one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And as we moved into chapter 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but you look out not only for your own interests, but the interests of others. The key to unity in the body of Christ is humility. And the ultimate example, that is Christ, who came to this world, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taken on the the form of a bondservant, and, and being found in the parents of a man, he would then go to the cross as he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. And his name is going to be exalted above all other names. We know that because of that example, that you're to work out your own salvation with fear of trembling, is what he would write to us. That it is that now that you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, that this is a wonderful salvation that we get to, to have lived out in our lives. Take your Christian life seriously. Do all things without murmuring and complaining as we discussed last week. And we ended at verse 15 with us being told that we are to shine as lights in this dark world. So picking up our text now at chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. To hold fast means to hold firmly. Hold firmly the word of God. Hold firmly to the truth of, of God. Uh, have it worked out in your life. We know that our world comes along in our culture and tells us that you don't have to, to believe the word of God. It's not true. Uh, the world is not going to encourage us to hold fast to the truth of God's word. They, they, the world rejects God's word. So we're to firmly hold to God's word, and we're to have it worked out in our life where godliness is being worked out. And when that happens, people will look at you and me, being a new creation in Christ, and they will say to us, how come you're different? You're not like everybody else in the world. You're not prideful. You're not conceited. You're humble. You care about others' interests. You don't complain and murmur all the time. It's because of the gospel. What Jesus Christ has done for me in dying for me, given me eternal life. He has changed me. He has given me a new heart. So hold fast the word of life. Jesus would say that the words I speak to you are spirit and life. We know that right before that, that Jesus, as he turned to his disciples, people were beginning to, to leave Jesus. And he said to his disciples, you want to go with them? And Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So the question this morning for you and for me as we journey through life, where do we go? The world has all kinds of advice, philosophy, truths that change constantly. Where do we go? We're to hold on to the word of life. We're to hold on to the word of God, which is true, absolute truth for you and for me. So Paul is exhorting them, hold fast the word of life, that I may rejoice. Interesting, he says, in the day of Christ. That's, he's speaking of the rapture of the church knowing that I haven't labored in vain. In other words, be open to and obedient to what you have been instructed. And the apostle is just being open and honest with these Christians so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. So to continue to hold fast, be strong in the things of the Lord. I don't want you to think that I failed you somehow. Now today, we, we see that uh, people will call themselves life coaches and, and be able to be helpful as you journey through life. Maybe it may be a health coach maybe perhaps an exercise coach, a financial coach, whatever it might be. Well, Paul was really the first life coach as he discipled these young guys that are mentioned in the New Testament. But it was more than that. He had a pastor's heart. He had a shepherd's heart. He loved these guys. He took them under his wings. And we, I think all of us, can appreciate Paul's heart as he also had a love for the Christians, not just in Philippi, but the Christians as a whole. You see, for you and for me, What a joy it is to see people growing in God's word. And maybe you're a parent to your children. Maybe grandparents to your grandchildren. Maybe you're an uncle or an aunt to your niece or nephew or other family members. Maybe it's somebody at work that you're discipling, a friend, whoever it might be. And and it's so rewarding and it's such a joy to see fruit that comes from their lives because they're growing in the word of God. You're discipling them. You're teaching them. You're encouraging them in the things of the Lord, and you feel like, oh, man, it's so worth it. My labor hasn't been in vain. But the other side of the coin is this as well, that there can be sorrow in our hearts when we give the word of God to others, when we are applying that to them in their situation and encourage them to walk in godliness, and they end up ignoring it or they dismiss it. They don't respond to it. I've had people in my office, they'll say, Pastor Jeff, I'm facing this situation. I I got this circumstance. I got this problem that is going on. And I'll give them the word of God. I'll read scripture to them, how it pertains to their situation. And I've had a few, not a whole lot, but I've had a few that would say to me, well, that doesn't apply to me. I, I don't want to do that. That's not going to work. And it grieves me when that happens because I know that they're going to leave and they're going to try it the world's way and they're going to end up just in confusion and disappointment and knowing that the world, what the the world has to say is not going to work for them eventually, not going to bring them joy, not going to bring them to that place of peace that we're going to see that the apostle is going to talk about how we can continue in joy, how we can have the peace in our hearts as we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, go to the Lord. So we'll see that as we continue through this epistle. But I love what John, the apostle loved at the end of his life, that he would write in 3 John verse 4, that I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. In verse 17, as Paul has been expressing that to this church, he continues writing that, yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on a sacrifice and service of uh, your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul here is indicating here that um, the possibility, as we have seen, of his imminent execution he views himself, it's interesting, as being poured out as a drink offering. What does that mean? Well, when you go to the Old Testament, when you read about the, the drink offering, you see that um, it was uh, Numbers chapter 15 given with the burnt offering. The burnt offering was a free will offering where that whole animal was consumed. It, it's symbolic how you and I, that we we're to give all of ourselves, our lives to the Lord. Lord, you take me, all of my heart, all of my life. So here he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. And if I lose my life here in Rome, which eventually he would. Uh, We know that in 2 Timothy, that is the last letter of Paul, about five years after this first imprisonment, he would be rearrested. And there his last words that are recorded in the New Testament of Paul. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Uh, my departure is at hand. Here he says, if. He doesn't know what's going to happen, and we know that he would be released from this first imprisonment. If I lose my head, it's because of your faith. And that you know, kind of struck me here because he connected, listen, the faith of the Philippians with sacrifice and service. And this is so very important for us to consider this morning. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, what it reminded me of is there is recorded David's mighty men. He had three main mighty men. They were Adino and Eleazar and Shammah. And it gives the account in that chapter how David is in the cave of Adulah. He's running from Saul. He's uh, hiding there in that safe place. And the Philistines had taken over Bethlehem. And you know that David was from Bethlehem. And David is in that cave and he's just parched. And he says, oh, if I could only have some water from the well from Bethlehem there by the gate of Bethlehem. It was a well that David had drinked. Drunk from water, fresh water, refreshing water, many times as he was a shepherd boy, out with the sheep. And he's just saying, oh, how I long to have a drink from that well there in Bethlehem. And his three mighty men, Adino, Eleazar, Shammah, hear that, and they take off. They take off. They're gone for a while. And I just wonder if David is wondering, where are those guys? Where did they go? And the announcement comes out, three men are approaching And it's Adino and Eleazar and Shammah. They have a pitcher of water. And I just picture them with their clothes all tattered and they're uh, bruised and, and bleeding and doing battle with the Philistines. And they said, David, for you, a pitcher of water from Bethlehem. And David was so overwhelmed by that, by their sacrifice and service, he wouldn't drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should drink of it. As much as David wanted to and desired that water, he poured it out because of their service and sacrifice to him, willing to risk their lives to bring that water to David. The believers in Philippi loved Paul, and they would sacrifice and serve Paul. They did not have it easy in Philippi. They gave to Paul a, a, a gift to help him financially. Paul would make reference of that Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He tells us that this church would give out their own poverty and their own persecution. I think that most of us know this, but all of us need to know this. That ministry is not about getting my way and my desires and my wants all the time. It is not, I have an agenda, it's got to be done this way, I better be comfortable, and if I don't like it, I'm going to quit. But ministry is sacrifice and service. That's what true ministry is about. Paul here is writing to them, and he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Service to the Lord does cost. Jesus himself said that if you're going to be my disciple, then count the cost. Paul poured out in the work of the ministry as a sacrifice to God. When the ministry dictated that he make tents all day long in order to preach and to minister, that's what he did. He worked, and he sweated, and he supported himself. When the ministry demanded that he travel dangerous roads or take a boat somewhere, he did so even though he risked being robbed or beaten or shipwrecked and sick. He would find himself poor and alone for the cause of Christ. He didn't give up, but he considered himself a drink offering poured out to God, and he had joy, and he wanted the Philippian believers to rejoice with him. I want to remind us that the Bible tells us as believers we are called to be a living sacrifice to the Lord. Brethren, by the mercies of God, Romans chapter 12. And the Lord has been merciful to us, hasn't he? Mercy means not getting what we deserve. What is it that we deserve? We deserve hell is what we deserve. But Jesus came to die for our sins, we receive his mercy, his grace, the unmerited favor of God as we come in faith. So he says, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. I want to remind us that God desires for us to serve, to serve our families, the place where we work, to serve others, and service includes sacrifice at times. It includes being flexible to the Lord and sensitive to hearing from the Lord. I think that most of us, I know that I do, but I, um, I think that most of us, if not all of us, we have some sort of routine in our daily routine, a routine in life. We have schedules, and that is a good thing. Your kids have schedules. You have a routine. There's a certain time that they go to bed, when they do their chores, your kids, certain times where they go to school and they have practice for sports or dance or, or music. We have a schedule when we go to work and when we get back and when we make dinner, all those things. So please don't think that having schedules or a routine is a bad thing. But I will speak for myself, and maybe perhaps this applies to some of you that are here today. But for me, I have a schedule and I have a routine, and I don't like it. When my routine is interrupted. Sometimes. Most of the time. I just don't like it. And this sacrificial service that Paul had in his life. And of the Philippians. He's going to mention two individuals that displayed service and sacrifice. That allowed their routine to be interrupted. Interrupted. Timothy who is a faithful servant and Epaphroditus, who would take the time to travel from Philippi to Rome which would be very, very difficult to minister to Paul's needs. So the question for me and for all of us is this. Are we willing to have our routine be interrupted? To minister to others, be flexible. To say, hey, I'm going to make a meal for somebody. Hey, I'm going to call somebody up and have coffee with them. I'm going to make a hospital visit. To stop when you see that person in the store, how are you doing? I'm not doing so good. It's been a hard hard time or we're facing this. To stop and just say I'm going to pray for you to allow our lives to be interrupted at times to minister, to be at that living sacrifice, be kindly affectionate, as Paul continues to write in Romans chapter 12, to one another, given preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit and serving the Lord and continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, be given to hospitality. My pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, used to say all the time to us, you guys, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break. Are we willing to let our lives be interrupted, to serve one another, to sacrifice for others that need to be ministered to? Something for me to consider for all of us. He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send you, Timothy, to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So Paul, having concern for the Philippian church, he, he longed to be with them. But he was chained to this Roman garrison, and he couldn't go. So the apostle writes, I'm going to send Timothy to you, and I trust that the Lord will get him there. And, and whenever there was difficulties uh, in the churches, Paul would uh, send Timothy when he could not attend to them personally. He would send Timothy, we know, the Corinth. He sent Timothy to Thessalonica. And you see, it wasn't that Paul just would go and start a church or establish a church on his missionary journeys. People were getting saved. Uh, The church would begin to grow. Paul would leave and go to the next city, and that was it. We know that Paul would follow up with them. He continued to visit if he could, to write letters to the Christians. He certainly prayed for the Christians, so Paul had a heart to see the Christians continue to grow and mature. So I'm going to send Timothy to you And I know that I will be encouraged when he comes back to me and gives me a report on how you are doing. He's already said that I have confidence that in my absence that you're going to be obedient to what the Lord is telling you to do in this conflict that's going on. He says something interesting here in verses 20 and 21. As I'm sending Timothy to you, the reason I am is because I have no one who is like-minded, who will really come with a servant's heart and come and care for you. I find it interesting that Paul, who really loved and cared for the saints in Philippi, said that I'm going to make sure that I'm going to send you someone who is like-minded, thinks the way that I think. Again, Timothy was a young disciple of Paul that that learned what ministry really was all about. And that is loving people and caring for people, serving people. Timothy's qualification as a minister didn't come from his physical strength. Didn't become, come because he was all dynamic personality. Matter of fact, Timothy it gives us a little hint that maybe he was a little bit timid. And We know that he was sick at times. But he was one that was committed to the cause of Christ. He was faithful to Paul, to the ministry that was given to him. He cared not just about his own interests, but for the interests of others. Paul calls him a son in the faith. I love Paul's last letter that was written to Timothy, 2 Timothy. As he's encouraging Timothy, he's he's going to pass the baton of ministry on to Timothy because Paul says that my departure is at hand. He would be executed right after he wrote that letter to Timothy. And in chapter 3, verse 10, Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long sufferings, love and perseverance, persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra. Paul was, of course, of great godly influence to Timothy. And he says, but you, Timothy... You, Timothy, my son in the faith, you have carefully followed my doctrine. And it was Paul that, of course, that we know, that repeatedly told Timothy, follow no other doctrine. You stand fast to the word of God. You hold on to it. That you teach the truth of God's word. You're going to have to deal with those who are bringing in false doctrine and and the others they establish that, that firm gospel doctrine and the truth of God's word. He would say over and over again, you have carefully followed my doctrine. You've carefully followed my manner of life, which is interesting because it's the only time that phrase is used in the New Testament. There in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. It speaks of manner of life. It speaks of a lifestyle. Timothy, you have followed my godly lifestyle. It didn't contradict Timothy in what was taught to him, how he was to live in godliness and pursue godliness. What about us? When we say that we're a Christian and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I believe in the Bible, what is our manner of life? Because all of us are connected to people or linked to people. What do they see in our lives? What about us parents? Not that our kids see perfection, not by the least bit. But do they see godliness being worked out in our lives? Do we tell them how much the Lord means to us and what he's done for us? Are they just seeing a bunch of worldliness, carnality, being self-absorbed. You do this, and yet we do another. You know my manner of life. He told Timothy in his first letter that, Timothy, you be an example to the believers in love and faith and in, in conduct and speech, purity. You know my purpose, Timothy. Paul had real purpose in life, to be a minister of the gospel. He wanted to do God's will and to finish the work that God had given to him. What about us? Do we want to do God's will or do we want to just do our own will, live for self? I don't think any of us want to do that. What is our purpose in life? What are we showing others? You know my faith. You know my long-suffering, Timothy. Suffering's hard enough, but when it's long suffering, you know my love, my perseverance, which means to stick with it when things get tough. Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know my persecutions, and Timothy did. Acts chapter 15, Paul's first visit on that first missionary journey to Lystra, where Timothy was from. They came out, they stoned Paul, left him for dead, dragged him out of the city, probably threw him in the garbage heap. That's where the garbage heap was. Paul got up and he went back in the city. Timothy probably, as a young teenager, saw all of that. Paul gives us indication that he did. You know my persecution at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra. And then in Acts chapter 16, on Paul's second missionary journey, Timothy joins the missionary team, has been faithful to Paul for the last 15 years up to this point, continued till Paul would go home to be with the Lord, executed by Caesar Nero. Timothy, shortly after that, church tradition says Timothy was stoned to death, beaten to death. In Ephesus. You know my persecution. Timothy knew of Paul's persecution firsthand. He came to know Jesus as the foundation had been laid. We know the seeds were planted by his grandmother and mother. As Paul writes about that, who spoke God's word into his life. So a little side note. Particularly if you're here and you're young or whoever you might be. If you had parents, listen, that spoke truth to you, who gave you the word of God. And I know not all of us grew up in Christian homes. But if you did have a godly home that you grew up in, please do not take that for granted. You had godly parents, grandparents, a mom and a dad whoever it might be that spoke truth in your life when you were little and you are assured of those things and you have been blessed. And be thankful for that. And if you grew up in a godly home where you had parents or whoever that loved you enough to speak the gospel and the truth of the word into your life, praise God for that. But please... Do not take that for granted. And please don't let the world take you down because that's what's happening and pull you away from Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you're surrounding yourself with friends that are mocking the Word of God and mocking what you were raised to believe and telling you that's your parents' religion. I'll tell you this. When the world around you begins to fall apart, which it will, because the world is not your hope, and you hopefully will begin to realize that this world is a big scam, and you leave defeated and depressed and hopeless and confused and empty in your heart, this is the message of God to you this is his message to you. Come home. You come home. And he's at the end of the road looking for the son to return, the daughter to return. You come home and we're going to be waiting for you to minister to you, to give you the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. What we need to do with the godly influence in our lives, those who have spoke truth into our lives, whether it's from the time that you were a baby or whether there was a time in your life that somebody came and led you to getting saved. And all of us need to take those things that we have learned and been assured of, knowing who you have learned them from. We must continue. Paul writes to Timothy, you must continue in the scriptures that's going to be the theme of our vacation bible school because we know what is true is this that the world is like it's undertow trying to pull us away from the lord and the word trying to pull us down and your kids and your grandkids take fast the word of life do you understand what i'm saying And the enemy is there. And he's going to come against your kids. And he's not going to stop. So you be praying for them. And you be sharing with them what the Lord means to you and the word of God. You bring them here where they're going to be loved and encouraged and taught the word of God. We're going to come alongside of you. And encourage you in being the parents, the grandparents. You bring your friends and others. Because the enemy is working overtime. The blind people and the cheap people, he's the deceiver and a liar. Timothy is a faithful servant. No one like-minded. He traveled a long ways. It was dangerous. But he would go for Paul and he would care for people in Philippi. And what a great thing that Paul would say about Timothy in that he sincerely is going to care for you. All others seek their own. It just shows how rare it is that Paul could send someone that he trusted and had confidence in. In verse 22, but you know his proven character... That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. The Philippians apparently were very familiar with Timothy. They knew of his character, that he was devoted to serving God and serving others. There would be no question in their minds about how genuine he was when Timothy showed up in Philippi and then Paul expresses now that he hopes that he would come soon but that was up to the Lord and yet I consider it verse 25 necessary to send you Epaphroditus my brother fellow worker fellow soldier but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need since he was longing for you all and was distressed because of you had heard that he was sick it is believed that perhaps Epaphroditus was the one that would take this letter To the Philippians and deliver it to them. And then Timothy would follow later. Epaphroditus, when he came to Paul in Rome, he would be, he's my messenger. In other words, he would inform Paul on what was going on in the church. And Paul indicates that he would bring a financial gift to him, to Paul. Paul will mention specifically that in chapter 4, verse 18. When Epaphroditus came to Rome, Paul says he became sick. But before we talk about that, look at what Paul has to say about Epaproditus. Number one, you can know he's my brother, which speaks of the bond that they had because they were believers in Christ. It just speaks of this closeness uh, that these two believers had knitted together in God's love. It is wonderful, listen, to have brothers and sisters in Christ. You always hear me encouraging people when I talk to them. Maybe you hear me on live radio. Uh, I'll say, do you have a church? Are you in fellowship?" Do you have those who are going to pray for you? Those who are going to come alongside of you? He's my brother. Second of all, he's my fellow worker. He labors with me in the work of the Lord. Some have suggested that Epaproditus was the pastor of the church there in Philippi. That seems to make sense to me. We don't know for sure. They were distressed when they heard that he was sick. He longed for them, for the Christians there. Sounds like a heart of a pastor to me. Thirdly, he's a fellow soldier. He battled with Paul for the work of the gospel. And then, fourthly, quickly, your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. They sent a to minister to Paul to serve Paul. As verse 26, he became sick, and we continue reading, for indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He was sick almost unto death. He was distressed because uh, that... They had heard that he was sick; he didn't want to burden them, worry them there's no indication here that Paul healed him, that Epaphroditus was sick because he was out of God's will, but simply Paul praises God for his mercy on him and restoring him, and therefore, as we finish the chapter, I send him to more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful, you know, as he says. That is, he's sick. God heal them, lest I have sorrow upon sorrowful. He says that I would become less sorrowful. My point is simply this: don't think that Paul just sat in that prison cell, tapping his toes, snapping his fingers, as he talks about rejoicing over and over again. He had that joy in his heart, but he did also have sorrow as well for the Christians. Had sorrow in his heart as he was hurting for them. And because for the work of Christ, he also came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Amazing, Epaphroditus. He's going to come back to you. He's longing for you. He's homesick for you. And when you receive him, receive him with gladness. Hold him in esteem. For he's put the work of Christ first. Another example, a person whose life was marked by serving others even to the point of death. An example of what we've been learning about in service and sacrifice to others. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this word given to us. And as we read these few verses, these are real people. That served and did it freely and willingly, serving others in a church. Godly examples to us. So I thank you for that. So I pray right now. So we just got a few minutes left. Listen. If we can just kind of be still and not a lot of moving around, but listen. As we're in an attitude of prayer, just seeking the Lord. If you're here this morning and the Lord's speaking to you, saying, man, I've just been rigid in my routine. I, I, Lord, I know that you're pressing upon my heart to allow my life to be interrupted. Maybe there's somebody that's been on your heart that you've kind of been pushing out of your mind to go and talk to. Or maybe somebody in your life that the Lord's been speaking to you to minister to them, but you just kind of ignored it that right now you can come to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you. I thank you that you're just pressing upon my heart to allow my life to be interrupted, my routines to minister to others. I thank you so much for the example that, that we have in Scripture and how we are to be that living sacrifice. I also pray if you're here And maybe the world has pulled you down under. You're just caught up in all this stuff of the world, the philosophy of the world. You've had others pull you away in the carnality. Maybe it's just an attitude, whatever it might be. Will you give it to the Lord right now? Will you say, Lord, forgive me? I need to repent. I need to turn to you. Maybe you're here, you've been a prodigal. And the Lord is saying, come home right now. Because the world will leave you empty. And defeated. If you want to have abundant life, it's only found in Christ and living for him. Who loved you, laid down his life for you. Which leads me to if you've never come to Christ truly in your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus went to that cross and died for your sins personally, individually because of his love for you. Because the wages of sin, the consequences of sin is death. But he didn't leave us without any hope. He came and allowed himself to be a sacrifice. His body broken, his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. So if you're here, you've never given your life to Jesus. He is your salvation. He wants to make you a new person, give you a new beginning, save you, bring you into right relationship with the Father. Have the hope of eternal life. It comes by, right now, repenting. Quit going the direction you're going, repenting of your sins, and turning to Jesus, and surrendering to Him. Coming in faith, that's what saves you. And calling out on the name of the Lord. You can do that right now. Please don't leave this place if you're not right with God. Because tomorrow's a promise to you. You can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. And that you rose from the grave and you are the son of God. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior to sit upon the throne of my life and my heart. And I thank you for hearing my prayer in this new beginning and bring me into the family of God. In Jesus' name for all of us as we walk out of this place. Lord, lead us and guide us. May we pray about who we're going to minister to and give the gospel to or bring here to hear the gospel. And Lord, to keep our eyes on you, to serve others, to love others, and be a light to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen stand